Welcome to our podcast series, Five Questions, Five Answers, in which we explore recent U.S. trade policies and U.S. trade rules that can affect thousands of companies. We have a goal in mind to help you, the listener, translate the legal into real-world business strategies. My name is Bridget Matheson. I'm the Director of North American Manufacturing here at Aaron Fox Schiff in Washington, D.C. I get the easy part. I get to ask the questions and I get to choose the colleague or the guest I know will have the right answers for you. So in the next few minutes, I will ask five questions that reflect the concerns we've been hearing from business leaders, all who want to understand the rules, but they also need to mitigate their business risk while increasing their bottom line. So let's start. What a treat we have. David Hamill is our guest today. He is well known to many of you who are listening to this podcast today. He's the International Trade and Investment Practice Partner at Aaron Fox Schiff, and he also chairs the Electric Mobility Group here again at Aaron Fox Schiff. He leads a dynamic team at our firm, and what we do is we advise companies on a number of uh, aspects of U.S. trade trade regulations, including the USMCA, rules of origin, new labor value content calculations. He doesn't come to us as a novice. He has been with us for a while, but before he joined the firm, he uh, served from 1991 to 2000 as a senior counsel and attorney advisor at the U.S. Department of Treasury. What did he do there? Well, among us, number of things. He was the chief legal advisor to the U.S. chair of the NAFTA Rules of Origin Working Group on automotive rules. But wait, there's more. He also served as a legal advisor at U.S. Treasury's Commercial Operations Advisory Committee. Most of you know that as the COAC, where we work to resolve a number of issues between private sector representatives. Many of you might be listening on this call and government officials. So who better to help me untangle the tangle of U.S. trade rules? especially that tangle faced by many vehicle manufacturers, as well as their parts suppliers. So I want to welcome David Hamill. David, welcome. Thank you, Bridget. And Bridget, uh, I love these podcasts. You've done spoken to a lot of great folks, uh, both in the private sector, as well as some members of, uh, of our team. So uh, today you get the old guy. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm glad because uh, one of the reasons is you're you're such a great resource. But also, uh, we've had a number of podcasts, David, where with other colleagues and other uh, representatives of the private sector uh, from the the automotive and transportation industry about stovepipe specific issues uh, confronting the industry. I wanted you to come in and talk about sort of a holistic approach, like connecting the dots, untangle that tangle of U.S. rules. David, you've been around a long time and so have I. So, David, I wanted to ask you, what do you think are the most important trade policy, trade regulation and rules that have come into play that you are hearing are most worrisome to companies out there? Yeah. Uh, Bridget, you know, as you, as, as uh, you've indicated, we've uh, we go back a long way in terms of uh, 
of of working on trade issues. And you know, it's not that uh, all of a sudden trade just you know popped on the radar screen. I mean, you know, we we both worked on the you know the NAFTA negotiations in the in the in the early '90s. It's to me, it's just the explosion of the number of rules and regimes. I mean, I mean. There were, you know, there there were statutes, you know, the three hundred one statute and the two three two statute, but they really weren't uh, called upon. But companies now, not only do they have to worry about, you know, NAFTA now USMCA, but now the China tariffs, the steel and aluminum tariffs, um, you know, just just you know the, the the garden variety trade rules that they've had to deal with, but also in an environment, especially with um uh, uh vehicles and 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 their parts where the the industry is 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 changing and the in the and the makeup of the car is changing and the rules that were developed um uh you know you know for these for this product uh you know we're, we're it, 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 i don't think it, it, the rules envisioned um uh what we have now you know moreover not only are there more rules, but the rules are changing faster. There was a notice last week on rule proposed rule changes for uh, 232 steel and aluminum exclusions. I mean, you, you know, this is not a, a, a hobby now for, for, for someone at a company. It, it, you know, it's a full-time job and then some, and things are changing. Products are changing. The rules are changing. You know, you can call it the tangle of the rules, whack-a-mole, whatever you want to call it. It's just it's just really challenging just to to keep current. Yeah. You know, I think back uh, on the years of uh, NAFTA, the late 90s and into 2000, and uh, uh, the automotive industry in North America was pretty much well entrenched. The rules were really well understood. They're, they were very mature. And all of a sudden, poof, we get something called an electric vehicle. And whether that be the bus, the train, or the car, uh, all of a sudden it has attracted considerable attention, not only by consumers, of course, but by government officials. And there's a real incentive to uh, bring that kind of manufacturing and assembly into North America. That's pretty obvious from anyone who's reading the headlines these days. Um, but that industry still relies on a very long global supply chain. And as soon as you recognize that there is a global supply chain for the immediate future anyways, you have to consider the regulatory and, uh, and rules that uh, have a huge play in the industry. It's every import, every component, regardless of the country, that you have to understand. And so for me, when I think of supply chain, I think of procurement, I think of sourcing, I think of procurement flexibility. And at the end of the day, right, David, it all results in profitability. But how do, in your view, U.S. trade rules and that calculation of domestic content and final assembly, those kind of terms, how do they impact 
what a company does here in the United States and from where? What, why do they care? And what does it matter? Well, a lot of a lot of questions. Let me try to let me try to unpack them. But you know, uh, first off, I think Bridget, you mentioned about the supply chain, and one of the one of the consequences of uh, the development of these rules is that these rules now affect you know the entire supply chain. You know, it's yeah. just not your your vehicle manufacturers and your your tier one automotive suppliers, but Tier twos and tier threes now are going to have to, you know, know more. I mean, back in the day with NAFTA, you know, a lot of times all tier twos had to pay attention to were, were, the, were the tracing rules, and they could, they could, you know, provide that number, you know, fairly routinely. Now, you know, the way the USMCA is structured, uh, you know, they have to do their own. Uh, 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 value calculation. So it's, and I know that uh, a, a lot of tier one struggle with educating their their tier two suppliers. You know, talk about you know uh, forced labor now. That that is reaching down to. So it, it's it, it's more of just having to be more responsible for you know the entire supply chain and what you're representing, and in this industry. It's about you know uh, saving tariffs, you know uh, saving money so that you're not paying tariffs, and it's just not about uh, suppliers that are importing. Suppliers have to provide a, a U.S. supplier uh, may have to provide a, a, a certificate for their part or component to their customer so that they can trade that vehicle, so they can count that. Uh, uh, USMCA qualifying content in their own calculations, and and the supplier, you know, may say, you know, why do I have to bother with this? I'm not, I'm manufacturing this part in the U.S. Why do I need to? Why do I need to worry about the trade rules? Because your customer is worried, is 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 concerned about the trade rules. So there's a real uh, ripple effect, and you know, mentioning the USMCA and LBC and. And 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 exclusions uh, from the China tariffs and two three two steel tariff exclusions. These are complicated rules that um, you know many companies uh, you know that have the internal resources can handle. But boy, a company that is that you know that 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 doesn't know these rules, I think, is really at a competitive disadvantage. Well, let's take an example of what you've just said, David. Um, uh, company executives earn their salary by looking ahead and thinking strategically. So, for example, the um, when the USMCA was uh, put into effect, uh, some companies, uh, original equipment manufacturers, were allowed to seek something called an alter alternate staging regime. In other words, please, please, government, give us a few years to be able to meet the, at the times, I guess, 62.5% North American domestic content level. And so a lot of OEMs got that sort of pass for a few years. Well, that pass is going to be expiring in 2025. That's kind of right around the corner for many companies. Uh, and that would uh, 
so OEMs right now, if I understand it, are already looking to their tier ones and maybe even tier twos to bump up their North America, their own North American domestic content calculations uh, and to demonstrate that they have bumped up that domestic content um, and uh, to the OEM so that the OEM who builds the final vehicle uh, doesn't have to pay what double digit tariffs. So there's a whole pressure going on right now um, based on US trade requirements. But yeah, Bridget, you mentioned a uh, an important development that's I think a little bit under the radar, but we're seeing in, in in our practice is that you mentioned alternative staging regimes, and by the way, they're called for in the USMCA. They're their uh, 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 agreements that the uh, automakers uh, enter into with USTR, I believe uh, the vast majority of them have alternative staging regimes. Uh, they are they are uh, uh, private. We, we we don't know the you know the 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 content of those agreements, but I think there's the conventional wisdom is is that. A lot, you know, that automakers are able to keep their qualifying content, uh, North American qualifying content, you know, at or around what they had to at what they had to meet for NAFTA. That being sixty two point point five percent, might be a little higher. As I say, we don't we don't know. We don't know these uh, alternative staging regimes. But just in terms of you know how automakers have been soliciting. Uh, you know, I, I think that's a fair assumption. Uh, the USMCA uh, calls for a phase out of alternative staging regimes uh, after five years. So that the agreement was went into effect uh, July 1, 2020. And uh, five years, if my math is right, is July 1, 2025. Well, automakers are now planning for, you know, their 2025 and 2026 uh, uh, platforms and, and assuming rightfully so that there's they're not going to be able to benefit from from these alternative staging regimes. So automatically that content is going to go up for for their vehicle to 75 percent. So let's just assume that their content stayed at 62.5 percent. That's that that's 12.5 percent more content that they have to somehow get well you know they they've already done their own net cost calculations they've probably squeezed out what they can uh you know from their own production so what's the what's the next thing they need to do they need to go for their they need to go to their suppliers so there's two develop there's two uh uh offshoots there one is that you know they they've solicited from their suppliers, you know, when USMCA was enacted and prior to that NAFTA. But now, you know, they might need, need because they need more content, they might have to seek out new, you know, some of their secondary suppliers or, you know, go back to their primary suppliers, their tier one suppliers and say, hey, you know, we need <laughs> we need more content from you. Uh, you know, are you are are you sure this component doesn't qualify? Or, hey, you know what? You said this component didn't qualify, but under the USMCA, you can give us a, a certificate that shows us, you know, you're 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 partial 
USMCA content. So it's really a, a cascading effect, you know, on the supply chain. Um, and you know, of course, the suppliers, you know, they they want to be able to make their customers happy. So it's just it, it's even though the alternative staging regime is 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 uh, it's an automaker program. It has a ripple effect for the entire supply chain. David, let's talk about product innovation. Let's talk about advanced technology. Let's talk about how both the consumer and the suppliers. It just seems like every day there's a new product out there, and I find it fascinating. But you've worked for the U.S. government in particular. You've worked for the U.S. Treasury and even more U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Do you think the agencies are keeping up with the technology? They they must be having a hard time themselves as well. And in that, I would include, I don't know, the U.S. Department of Commerce with the Inflation Reduction Act that would be the Internal Revenue Service, but also the U.S. Department of Commerce. There seems to be a lot of players involved in a very fast-changing environment. Bridget, you're correct. I mean, when we were involved with the the USMCA uh, negotiation and the and the automotive rules, which I, I think a lot of folks realize is. A different animal than 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 what we've ever seen. It hasn't been in any trade agreement. You know, core parts, principal parts, complementary parts. Um, all these concepts are new. Uh, they were negotiated at a time where uh, e vehicles were 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 not the. Um, I, I don't think there was a, a, a specific thought that we would be where we are. Now, so in in some cases, uh, the rules uh, uh, as they apply to these new uh, technology, these new products, they don't they don't quite fit, and you know that creates uncertainty. And as all the folks on the call know, uh, companies and 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 senior company officials don't like uncertainty. Uh, but you also don't want to ask a question that you don't know the answer to. So we're I, I think in all of these areas we're 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 really we're really in in an environment where um where we're where, where there is no certainty. And I think that causes a lot of issues. I think being in the, you know, having been at Treasury, uh uh yeah, you're always mindful that your decision can have impact on on other on other uh on other areas which you might not have been thinking about so there's a natural and understandable reason to be a bit hesitant in terms of being bold within the government and coming out with determinations and 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 rulings and the like which leaves the uh the 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 trade to kind of fill in the gaps and um that can be scary at times, especially when, if the government doesn't like it, they can issue you penalties and take other enforcement actions. So, um, it, you know, I, as Bridget, as you know, I, I, I love uh, the, the 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 concept of risk assessments, risk analysis, risk mitigation, and I think even though we might not be able to get to certainty, we can certainly um, close that gap. Yeah. 
things are getting complicated. I would imagine very complicated. And company executives are, if they're not tearing out their hair, they're asking a lot of questions internally and seeking answers. And a lot of questions are coming from outside their company, whether it be their shareholders, their board of directors, or as we've talked about on this podcast, their their customers. Uh, But what I hear from you, David, and I find it reassuring, actually, and that's why I love working with you, is that understanding U.S. trade regulations, I keep calling it the tangle, it doesn't have to be overwhelming. I can understand why it might be overwhelming, but it's always that first step. What do I do as a company corporate executive? What questions do I need to ask internally first? What information do I need to compile from my engineers, my accountants, my uh, chief legal officer, if I have one? What is the first step I need to take internally and who can help me ask those questions internally? And that is why, David, I am so happy that you took the time to spend with me today. Yep, thank you. If you if you uh, if you're running a if you got to run if you're running a marathon, you got to you got to run the first couple of miles, and then it gets uh, a little, I don't know if it gets easier, but you know you you, you can finish. <laughs> In uh, a few short weeks, uh, one of our team, one of your team members, David Tony Rivera, will be uh, speaking at the Battery Show in Novi, Michigan. Novi, Michigan is well known to our team. So we'll all reassemble, to use the word, um, in uh, in the Detroit area. But his uh, presentation will be in front of an audience of, I'm assuming, of battery manufacturers for electric vehicles, uh, battery parts, um, um, and battery assemblies. One of the questions in a organizing call this morning with Tony and the conference organizers uh, I thought was intriguing. The question was, what does winning look like? So on the corporate side, it's profitability, innovation, product innovation, by the way, and the demand for electric vehicles. But in your view and what you've just said, what is winning to a tier one supplier, battery supplier? What does it look like? And what is the competitive advantage that a tier one supplier or battery manufacturer can have um, to keep their OEMs happy, in effect? Well, uh, first of all, you know, cost reduction, you know, duties and tariffs mean costs that uh, if they're going to be profitable, uh, uh, the the, the cost of the battery. is likely going to increase. Uh, uh, I think I think customers of battery producers are very concerned about um, you know the battery supply chain is you know it's largely dependent on China right now with critical minerals and the like. So you know how does that how does that play in? Do you have you know and, and you know not only uh, in terms of duty savings, and we, you know, this has happened uh, to us in a number of clients where we've advised 
based on tariff consequences that uh, they might need to uh, source some uh, battery components uh, from outside of China, you know, whether it's Korea, the United States or elsewhere. But it also has the benefit of having a more stable and and reliable supply chain. I read the articles on, you know, on 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 China and and I know that a lot of companies are are, you know, necessarily in China, but as you know, Bridget, from you know our 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 US government, and it doesn't it doesn't matter whether it's the previous administration or the current administration, I think, you know, there's gonna be some type of uh, hardline approach to trade with 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 China. You know, it might not be decoupling or or you know some of the other terms that we've heard, but you know, I don't think we're going to be opening up the floodgates to you know trade with China or investment with China. And frankly, that's where a lot of the battery um, inputs and 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 um, subassemblies. You know, we're we're very dependent on China, and nobody is saying that we're not. So, how is a company? How does a company deal with that? Having a having a strategy to deal with that is winning. Stable and reliability, two key words that I'm sure resonated with almost every one of our listeners here today. David, I uh, I could I could ask you to spend another hour with us on this podcast, but um, I know that we have a time crunch and we want to keep this as simple as possible because we want to uh, have our listeners start asking their own questions internally and start thinking, if not, if they haven't already, start thinking about what their due diligence, what their compliance requirements are under U.S. trade regulations from the USMCA to Inflation Reduction Act to these tariffs. It's one product they may be importing, but that one product is subject to a number of rules, and you don't want that shipment stopped at Long Beach, California, um, and never make it to your manufacturing facility here in the United States. So I wanted to thank you, David. I hope um, that you will come back as a guest in the future. And I uh, also wanted to mention to our listeners, those of you who will be attending the Battery Show at uh, in Novi, as we mentioned, the whole team is going to be there. If you'd like to meet with us, meet with David himself in person, uh, come and have coffee with us, uh, give us a ring. Uh, our contact information is on this website. And uh, Anita, end this. Unfortunately, I need to end it now by David thanking you very, very much. I realize your your time is very valuable. Bridget, the one thing I do add, and thank you for having me, is the one thing I would add, and maybe this is the subject of another podcast, is that, you know, we were talking about the battery shows and, you know, electric vehicles and the like. Yeah. You know, the industry, you know, the, the last, I mean, I think we still make more in, uh, vehicles using internal uh, combustible engines than we do, uh, you know, electric vehicles and their, and their, and their progeny. And, and let's not forget that, you know, uh, that production of, of an ICE vehicle has, has rules that are going to, it's the same rules, but how they, how they play out 
you know, may be different. So, you know, it's it's double the work, uh, if you will, for a, a lot a lot of these companies and our clients, frankly, and they've got to be the, you know, the master of both worlds at this point. So maybe for another podcast, we can get more into that. Oh, you're on it. You're on the hook. Thank you, David. And uh, thank you for uh, listening to our podcast. And uh, remember, smart in your world. It's not simply a tagline for us. Thank you very, very much.